We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Welcome everybody to episode eight of our podcast. Today's episode is actually entitled, John Interviews Carolyn. So that's what we're gonna do here today. I'm going to be interviewing Carolyn. I know her pretty well, but a lot of you guys don't. So we're going to be working on that today. Carolyn, my friend, are you ready to be interviewed by yours truly? Yes, let's do it, John. (laughs) All right. You sound pretty excited. Let's do it. (laughs) So first question. So in this line of work, I know we both come across so many different types of love stories. Tony was not your first marriage. Tell us a little bit about how you guys met and the love that you shared with him. Okay, so it was 2011 and it had been around 16 years since my first marriage ended. And during that time, my main focus had been on my kids and my career and building a better future for us. So I hadn't really been interested in dating that much. I'd had a couple of short-term relationships and a few dates, but I just hadn't found love. Not to interrupt, Carolyn, but I didn't know this until you just told me a few days ago. You had actually given up. You had come to a place where you were okay with being single, and you told me you had stopped looking. Oh, yes. There was quite a long time where I thought that I'd be happy just to be single for the rest of my life. But then as my kids grew older and were off doing their own thing, I guess I started to feel pretty lonely. And I thought it might be kind of nice to have someone to share the rest of my life with. So as I said, we're in 2011 and online dating was just becoming the big thing. Now, I dabbled in it on and off a little bit before. And John, let me tell you, do I have some stories to share about that? but maybe we better save them for another episode. (laughs) So I was feeling quite game and reactivated my plenty of fish profile. And I'd moved to a new town three years prior. So I thought I'd just check out the men in my local area. And next thing up popped Tony. Thought he was a pretty cute guy and he sounded a lot more normal than most. So I saved his profile into this private folder while I decided if I was going to be game enough to actually contact him. And lo and behold, the next day I received a message from Tony. (laughs) You see, unbeknown to me, my so-called private folder had sent him a message saying, Carolyn is interested in you. Oh, shit. (laughs) I remember freaking out at first. I was like, fuck, fuck, what have I done? This is so embarrassing. But, you know, once I settled down, I thought, you know, what the hell? He sounds like a nice guy. And we ended up arranging a coffee date a few days later. And we would always refer to that as the best mistake that I ever made. So I got to be honest with you. We first met around three and a half years ago, you and I, when you signed up for a coaching session with me. And I don't remember the answer to this question. I didn't remember that you met Tony on Plenty of Fish. Uh, You know, three and a half years ago, I completely forgot how you guys met. So when you guys finally meet for coffee, was it love at first sight? Oh, yeah, it absolutely was. (laughs) And look, I got to admit that I was a bit of a hard ass back then. You know, I was like, I'm never getting married again. I don't need a man to make me happy. If I get into a relationship, I won't move in with them. We don't need to live in each other's pockets. (laughs) We'll see each other when it suits me. And no man is going to tell me what to do, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But I remember as I drove up to the cafe for our first date, 
I could see this guy walking around outside and he was damn hot. (laughs) I was saying to myself, please be him, please be him, please be him. Because, you know, sometimes people have really old photos of themselves on dating sites or ones that look nothing like them. But this, right, right. but if this was him, like he looked so much better than his photos. So I, I parked and got out of my car. And next thing, Mr. Hot Guy walked over to <laughs> greet me. I was like, yay, yay, it's him. <laughs> and I'll never forget the way our eyes locked that first time. And I knew there and then I was a complete goner. This was him. This was the guy I had been waiting my whole life for. All right. Okay. You know, a lot of people actually do look better than their online dating photo. That's something I tell clients all the time. You had that experience with Tony. You thought he was cute from the photo. You get there. He's even more attractive to you. So don't stop there. Tell us a little bit more about the first date. You don't have to give us all the details if you don't (laughs) want, if that's too personal, but tell us a little bit more about the first date. Okay, so our first date was at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, I know it's a strange time for a date, but we both worked early morning shifts, so that suited us at the time. And I was so nervous that I actually nearly didn't go through with it. But as we sat in that cafe, it was like we'd known each other for years. We talked so openly and freely. We had the same family values and liked a lot of the same things, and we laughed. It was just all so easy. We looked into each other's eyes and talked and talked and talked some more until the staff told us that we had to leave because they were closing. (laughs) And i got to tell you, as he paid for our drinks, I checked out how cute his bum looked in his jeans, (laughs) (laughs) which I told him about a year later, and he was so embarrassed. So as we finished up, he walked me to my car and asked me to wait a minute. So then he's ran across the road to his car and returned with this nicely wrapped single red rose. He handed it to me with the biggest cheekiest grin on his face. And as I took it, I said to him jokingly, so I guess if he didn't like me, I wouldn't have got the rose, right? So we both had a really good laugh about that. And before we left, we planned our next date for the following weekend. And I remember driving home just completely smitten. And I must say, that was a really strange feeling for hard-ass Carolyn. (laughs) Hard-ass Carolyn. Okay. (laughs) I would have never imagined you as hard-ass Carolyn. That was before I knew you, obviously. (laughs) So you almost did what, as you know, is my absolute favorite thing to coach. You almost didn't go. You almost self-sabotaged yourself out of that situation. Oh, you would have never met Tony. You would have never met him. Absolutely, I nearly did. I was shit scared at the time. But I knew from all the personal development work I'd done that sometimes you just got to put yourself out of your comfort zone. So luckily that mindset did kick in and I went ahead with it. And what a beautiful love story I would have missed if I hadn't. Yes, that's absolutely. You would have missed it. So you guys go on your first date. And then you go on your second date and then you fall in love, which you'll get to a little bit more here in a moment. And then very shortly after you guys have fallen in love, blah, blah, John can't talk today. The C word. Tell us about the C word. Yeah. So five months into our relationship and Tony and I were preparing to move in together. Yep. Bye-bye hard ass, because when you know, you know, right? And Tony was a bus driver and had to renew his license every three years. So part of that process was to have a medical assessment. So he went off to the doctor to have that done. And this time he was seeing a new doctor because his previous one had retired. And this new doctor decided to do a PSA test along with all the other blood tests. So for those who might not know what this is, it's a prostate-specific antigen blood test, which screens for potential prostate cancer. And while it's usually recommended from the age of 50, and Tony was only 48 at the time, 
the doctor just thought he might as well include it anyway. So that was all good. Um, and a few days later, Tony called me at work to let me know that he'd had a call from the doctor to say that his PSA test was 199.9. So I asked him what it should be. And he said it should be somewhere between zero and two. And I asked him if we had anything to worry about. And in typical Tony style, he said, look, I'll be right, Dale. I just have to have some more tests, but it's all going to be good. However, many tests and appointments later, we were told that Tony did have metastatic prostate cancer and it was not curable, but it would be treatable for some unknown amount of time. You know, so our, for our listeners, there are so many differences between you and I, Carolyn, right? I'm a man, you're a woman. There is an age gap, right? I live in the US, you live in Australia. There's a lot of differences between us. But one of the things we share is that both of our loves got sick very, very soon after we found them. You found Tony on Plenty of Fish. Michelle came back into my life after a high school romance. You had five months with Tony before he got diagnosed. I had two years with Michelle before she got diagnosed. So you finally find the love of your life. You've been waiting, right? You give up, you give up, but he stumbles into your life. And five months later, he gets this diagnosis. I know he was trying to be upbeat from the start, but you guys find out that it is indeed cancer. Stupid question, I know, I know. But how do you feel as you find that out? I couldn't believe it. You know, I was so angry at first. I mean, I'd waited 49 years to meet this man, my complete soulmate, the absolute love of my life. And I've had him for five months, five fucking months. And now you're telling me that I'm not going to be able to grow old with him. In fact, I'm going to have to watch him die. You know, what's wrong with this world? He's a good guy. This isn't supposed to happen to good guys, right? Right. I got to tell you, I was so fucking mad at the universe, right? Call it God, call it the universe, call it whatever you want. I was so fucking mad when Michelle got sick. Having... I, I'm not going to say I waited eight years, the eight years we didn't have together, but having her in my heart those eight years, her being the only woman I had ever loved and her coming back into my life and then her getting diagnosed so quickly after, I was so fucking mad. So I understand your anger 100%. How long did Tony battle the cancer for before he passed away? So from the time of diagnosis until he died was five and a half years. And you were with him every step of the way? Well, there was a night very soon after Tony's diagnosis that he looked at me and said, you know, you don't have to go through this, Dal. This isn't what you signed up for. You can leave the relationship now and I'll never, ever hold it against you. And I just looked into his eyes and said, it's too late. I'm already in love with you. And I want you for every minute that I can have you. We're in this together. And I was right there beside him for every doctor's appointment, every scan, every chemo infusion every late night trip to the emergency department, every hospitalisation. I wanted him to know that I would always be there for him. There was no way he was going to have to do this alone. I feel that. I feel every word you just said, I feel that entire conversation. I feel Tony 
kind of giving you an out. I think that many humans would understand if you took that out. And I also feel you refusing to take that out, right? Did Tony, as he was sick for those five and a half years, ever attempt to push you away at all during that time? No, not at all after that initial conversation. And you know what? We were a really good team. While he didn't want to know every little detail of what was going on, I was the complete opposite. And I researched everything I could about prostate cancer and treatments. And I felt I became a bit of an expert, really. I asked questions and then translated things to Tony in terms that he could understand. And he'd often tell me how proud and grateful he was for me doing that for him. Overall, I think going through everything that we did have to go through, in fact, brought us a lot closer in a lot of ways. It made our love even more intense and more important. I mean, we had to talk daily about stuff that a lot of other couples never, ever have to talk about. And no one else could really understand it except us. But we laughed together, we cried together, and we had so many new experiences together. We did the mundane day-to-day stuff and we fought his cancer with everything we had. We did it all together. We did life and when we had to do the cancer shit, we did it. But we weren't going to let cancer be our life. Yeah, I, I completely hear you. I can say that for almost everything you said, the same was true for Michelle and I. Almost every word of that was true, except the ending. So I'm not going to get into a big thing here. We'll discuss it perhaps in future episodes. But I have this conversation a lot with clients when I do one-on-one sessions. Cancer did become our life. And that was really my fault. That's something that I did. And that's the only real regret I have. A lot of people deal with a lot of regrets. The only real regret I have is that I made cancer our life because I was so consumed by the fact that she was going to die because we knew kind of from the start. Now, let me get back to you and Tony. You and Tony both had previous marriages. And I think I'd be correct in saying that both of them weren't exactly ideal. They didn't end very well. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, John. We'd both been married previously and those marriages ended when our partner cheated. So I guess we could relate to each other. In my case, my first husband and I met at 19, married at 22. We built a home, had three kids, our own business. So on paper, I guess we were living the Aussie dream. However, there was a lot of financial stress and some other unexpected issues that came up and he took it all out on me in the form of emotional abuse. And look, I'm not saying I was perfect either. There's definitely things that I could have handled better as well. I guess we were probably doing the best that we knew how to at that time. But unfortunately, his way of dealing with it all was to turn to someone else. So he did have the affair and subsequently our marriage ended. Then all of a sudden I was a single mum of a three, five and seven year old. And I was devastated. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And I also felt like a fool because other people knew about the affair, but I didn't. And I couldn't see how I could ever be happy again. I'd become a sad and miserable person who didn't want to live anymore. And over the following 18 months or so, I was hospitalised several times after suicide attempts. I just couldn't see a way out. It was like I had tunnel vision. And I still find it hard to believe that this was part of my life because that's just not my normal personality. But one day it hit me what I was doing and I thought, why am I giving this person, now this person who's continued to treat me like shit way after the divorce, Why am I giving him the power to make me feel so unworthy of living a happy life? Why am I allowing him to make me feel like a piece of shit? 
So I decided there and then to take my power back. And that's where my personal journey of self-help and self-improvement began. You know, I have so many clients with similar stories. And even my story with Michelle was similar, but in a different way. And the story that I see with so many clients is this. Client is in a marriage that's not very good. Whether it's just not the greatest marriage or it's an abusive marriage, whatever the case is. And then there's a divorce. And they think they're never going to find love ever again. Their self-esteem is shot. Their self-worth is shattered. And then somehow, some way, even if they've given up, they meet the man they've been waiting for their entire life. And very quickly after that, he gets sick. Or very quickly after that, he dies suddenly. These are really tragic, horrible stories. Because of what you and Tony had been through in your previous marriages, do you think that you guys had an appreciation for love and life even more so than maybe someone who hadn't been through that type of not so great first marriage and the struggles that came with the divorce and you know the shattering of the self-esteem and the self-worth and all that absolutely we did and it was something that i remember discussing very early on in our relationship we didn't want drama and arguing We simply just wanted to share the rest of our lives together. And we promised each other that we would always communicate to the other if something was was bothering us. Because we'd been through real shit show divorces and then finally found each other, that was something we were so appreciative of and would never take for granted. But then when one of you is given a death sentence on top of that, I mean, we really, really knew how precious our time together was. And we did want to make every second count. I hear you 100%. I absolutely understand that. You know, to turn it on a little bit of a different note for a second. I was looking back at my notes from when we first started working together three and a half years ago. And one of the things that I have written down on that piece of paper is the word couples goals. I have no idea why I wrote that down. Tell me what you must have told me on that first call that made me write the words couples goals. (laughs) Yeah, Tony and I were always being described as couples goals by other people because we had the type of relationship that everyone wanted, though I'm guessing it they wanted without the cancer. For instance, I told you earlier that Tony gave me a single red rose at the end of our first date. Well, then every month firstary of when we started dating, so on the 8th of every month for the entire first year, I would come out of work and there would be a single red rose under the windscreen wiper on my car. And just a bit of a side note here, when he died, I would take a single red rose every month for the first year and place it on his grave. Carolyn, can I stop you for one second before you continue? I don't mean to be rude, but I want to ask you a question. I have a lot of people who, you know, follow me on my page or whatever, and they'll hear the story of Michelle and I, and they'll kind of get stuck in the fairy tale part of it. We had kind of a similar relationship. Like we were an amazing couple. We really were. But fuck. I mean, did the cancer fuck that up? So sometimes when people tell me just how incredibly lucky I am, I was incredibly lucky to have Michelle come back into my life. And she was incredibly lucky to have me too, right? We were so blessed to have those last five years together. But I mean, it was all stolen from us. So that goes back to the whole, you know, We can be grateful and still recognize that it was stolen from us. Gratitude does not walk alone. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely, John. Look, I have so much gratitude for the almost six years that I had with Tony and I would do it again in a heartbeat. But, you know, at the end of the day, we were cheated out of our future. 100%. So I cut you off because I just had to get that off my chest. I apologize. Continue telling us a little bit more about your love story with Tony. Tell us maybe about, you know, marriage or anniversaries, whatever you give us more into who this man was and the story that you guys shared. Okay, so another one of our favorite things to do was to celebrate our wedding anniversaries at the place we got married. And we decided to make a big deal out of things like wedding anniversaries and Valentine's Day, because we did know that we were going to be limited to how many of those we were going to share together. So each year on our wedding anniversary at 4pm, which was the time we got married, we would drive out there and they would set up a little table for two for us in the Rose Garden where our ceremony was held. And they'd give us a bottle of champagne and we'd sit there in the summer sun and reminisce about what was our most favourite day of our lives together. And strangely enough, that venue closed down about a month after Tony died. So I wasn't able to carry on that tradition like I wanted to. And at first it really upset me. But then I realised that this was something that was just for Tony and I to do together. We had a goal when we first heard Tony's diagnosis. Um, we hoped to get 10 years together. And we ended up making it to six weeks off six years. I remember thinking during that time that I didn't want to have any regrets when Tony died. And to be honest, I don't. There was nothing that we left unsaid. And I feel that we lived the best life that we could with the circumstances that we were given. In fact, we often said that we might not have had much money, but we felt like the richest people in the world from the love that we shared. That, I get that. I get that. That's beautiful. So Tony was obviously a very romantic guy. Tony put a lot of us to shame with how romantic he was, okay? <laughs> um, so I know the answer to this question, but our listeners don't. What was his big last act of love before he passed away? As Tony's treatment options began to run out, we started thinking about how long we had left together. Our hope was to make it to our five-year wedding anniversary and then we'd renew our wedding vows. But in early 2017, which was only a couple of months after our fourth anniversary, we realised that he wasn't going to make it to our fifth. So we planned a vow renewal ceremony at the place where we got married for Sunday the 26th of March. But in the week leading up to that, Tony's health declined really rapidly. And I remember hospice coming to visit on the Wednesday before and they couldn't believe how bad he was. They told me that day that he only had days left to live and because he decided that he wanted to die in the palliative care hospital, they then arranged an ambulance to transport him there the next morning. So I cancelled our vow renewal ceremony. But when the hospital heard about this, they said, look, we love parties, let's do it here. Tony was so sick and I told him that we didn't have to do it, but he insisted. He said it was the last thing that he could do for me and he really wanted to give me that. So we planned it for the next day, the Friday night, as soon as Tony's daughters would arrive from interstate. And we had the most emotional, beautiful ceremony in the hospital gardens with our families. And it was officiated by the celebrant who married us. After that, we had cake and a feast of party food in a room inside the hospital. The nurses were absolutely amazing and they laughed and they cried with us. And Tony was just so frail, but he sat in that wheelchair and held my hand and we just kept looking into each other's eyes. And I remember feeling like we were the only two people in the room, even though it was full. And I could see how much it meant to him to renew our vows, to show me how much he loved me one more time. And in that moment, 
I've never loved him more. Tony died 30 hours later at 1.45am on the Sunday morning, the day that we were originally going to renew our vows. Again, incredibly beautiful and incredibly tragic all at once, right? And also, again, wow, was Tony a romantic man? He puts me to shame. No doubt about it. He puts me to shame. (laughs) He put a lot of guys to shame, John. They'd always say, you know, fuck you, Tony. You're making me look so bad. (laughs) Right, right. So... In a couple of weeks, when we do the Carolyn interviews John episode, we'll talk a little bit about um, the beautiful and tragic nature of my own wedding vows and the ones we didn't get to. That is another thing that we share in common. And I know that that was a very difficult story for you to tell. I think, I think it is healing to tell it. It's probably something you really wanted to share on some level but to to articulate that word those words especially on a podcast where there are a lot of people listening is difficult so thank you for doing that for us now i didn't know this before today but you were telling me earlier that tony left a very special legacy when he died tell our listeners what that is about Yes, John. So a little while before Tony died, his oncologist spoke to us about a research program. And we were told that for this research program, that we had to make the decision together as to whether Tony would participate or not. So this was for post-mortem research. After Tony died, his body would be taken away so they could retrieve his cancer-affected body parts and they could be used for many years to come to help with treatments for prostate cancer patients. So you see, Tony's cancer was a bit unique because he carried the faulty BRCA2 gene, which caused it to be very, very aggressive. So they were desperate to find out more about it. Well, of course, it was a yes from both of us. Tony said that he knew it was too late for him, but if he could help others in the future, it was well worth it. And I currently keep in contact with that research team and um, I'm always so, so proud and pleased to hear of the huge advances that they're making from Tony's generous donation. I love that. I love that. I'm glad that you guys said yes. I know it's a very personal decision. Yes, that was your decision. Um, And that you're still in contact with them, finding out about how his yes is helping other people, right? And their research. So you and Tony share an amazing love story. Again, very beautiful, very tragic. Let me ask you this question. Where are you at with dating? Do you feel like you're ready? Do you feel like you're not ready? Are you back in that hard ass? I don't want a man. I don't need a man mentality. (laughs) (laughs) Or do you want to consider opening your heart up to love again? Where are you at? Well, Tony told me several times before he died that he really wanted me to find love again. He'd tell me that above anything else, he wanted me to be happy because I deserved it. He said that I brought you know, so much happiness into his life and he was so thankful for that, but he didn't want his death to ruin the rest of my life. He actually told me to go back on Plenty of Fish and make that same mistake I'd made when I met him. <laughs> So I I guess I knew I had his blessing and I have his parents' blessing. Not that I would have anything to feel guilty about, even if they hadn't given me their blessing. I mean, you know, Tony is no longer an option for me to have a physical relationship with. But I do know that I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life. And that is because of Tony. He showed me how beautiful life is and how special it is to have someone to share it with. I've been alone for half of my adult life and it does get bloody lonely. I hear you on that, Carolyn. I mean, you know, again, there's an age gap here, but Michelle was the only woman I've ever lived with. You know, I've been alone as far as not having, you know, like a life partner for most of my life too. So it it can definitely get lonely. Um, Continue on. Tell us, you know, have you dated yet? Are you 
taking that closer look into it? Give us more information. Well, while I haven't dated yet, I feel that I am closer now to taking that first step. And even though it still scares me, like big time scares me, being lonely for the rest of my life scares me too. And look, I just want to say to our listeners, there is no right or wrong amount of time to wait if you're widowed and you want to find love again. I've been widowed almost five years now. And look, I possibly would have done it sooner, but different things have been happening in my life that I did want to give more attention to. But it's such a personal decision and it's no one else's business but yours. 100%. Absolutely. And another 100% is that dating can be very scary, right? Dating can be a very scary thing for all humans um, and especially for widowed people. Let's talk about fear in a different way. You had a first marriage that did not end well, right? To, To put it mildly, and it had a huge impact on you, right? And not a good one. And then you pick yourself up off the ground. You dust yourself off. You start anew. And even though you weren't intending to, you meet a man. And that man's name is Tony, the love of your life. Do you fear in any way, shape, or form that you might revert back to perhaps not making the best choices when it comes to men or dating or relationships? Look, I know it's hard to say it's never going to happen. But I am very confident that I'm in a much better place now. I've grown so much. I've learned so much about myself. And I'm older and I have more life experience. But I also know what I do want. And I know what I don't want in a relationship. I know what I deserve and what I don't have to put up with. And Tony showed me every day what it was like to have that type of relationship how beautiful it is when you have found your person. And look, I have done a whole lot of inner work myself, just as I do with my clients in this position. So I'm feeling much more confident than ever of respecting what I do want in a relationship and not just settling, but also of being able to show up in a relationship in the way that I would be asking a potential partner to as well. Yeah, I love that answer. And the reason I asked that question of you is because if we go back to when I said, I see this a lot, right? I see this a lot with my clients. Oftentimes they'll have the fear that, and I'm not saying this about you, Carolyn, I'm just speaking generally here. Maybe that client didn't pick the right man in the first marriage. And now they're worried that they're going to revert back to that. Maybe that client had a pattern of picking the wrong men. And this is something that they're aware of. And then they met their Prince Charming and he passed away. And now that they're, and now they're scared, right? They're scared that they're going to revert back to not picking the right man. Here's the thing. Here's the thing I tell those clients. Here's the thing I will tell you, my friend and podcast co-host. Now, you know, you know, Now you know exactly how you are supposed to be treated. You know exactly how you are supposed to be loved. It's not about comparing new people to Tony. It's not about that at all. It's that Tony showed you what you are worthy of. And if and when you get back out there, you want to make sure that you pick someone who treats you in a way that you are worthy of. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely, John. That's so true. And look, I do know that no matter where life may take me, Tony will always be a part of it. And my love for him will remain just as strong. Because just as I have enough love in my heart to love each of my children and grandchildren equally, I have enough love in my heart for a new partner as well as Tony. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. So Tony passes away and clearly, clearly, come on now, clearly the universe 
cannot send you any more obstacles, right? The universe cannot send you any more obstacles. After Tony passes, all you got to do, as hard as it is, is focus on your own grief. And once you're ready, you can start rebuilding. And there's going to be no more obstacles. It's smooth sailing from here, correct? <laughs> oh, John, if only that were true. I know I've mentioned on here before about how I moved in with my parents three months after Tony died because I just couldn't pay the rent where we'd been living, even though we had downsized in, in the year prior to Tony's death. And then I had to try and find a job while grieving. And you know what? It seems that no one wants to employ someone whose husband just died. But eventually I found a job and it was okay while I was just the vulnerable widow who my employer could control and bully but as I became stronger and started my coaching business on the side his bullying became so much more aggressive and it got to the point that I had to leave and John as you know because you helped me through this time it was really really tough especially having to do it without Tony's love and support I mean I almost lost my house my car everything all over again and I had to use every bit of my own coaching experience as well to coach myself. After Tony's death, I guess I thought nothing could really have that bad of an effect on me anymore. But you know what? Life still happens. And unfortunately, we're not immune to bad things happening. But I must say, the good thing that did come from all that is now that I get to do what I really, really love to do all day, every day. I get to do my coaching and I love it. I love it so much. And I'm also such a different person being away from that toxic environment. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before on here, right? The ripple effect after you lose your person. But that job situation you were in was not good. And it took a lot of courage for you to stand up for yourself and to then walk away. When you walked away, you made a head first dive into the coaching. So what makes you want to do this work that you say you love so much? You know, I've always loved talking to people and helping them to feel better within themselves. And my first two long-term jobs were as a hairdresser and then as a fitness instructor and personal trainer. And it was while I was working in fitness that I noticed that things stopping people from achieving their goals was usually their mindset. So that was when I decided to do my first life coaching course. And I found it really, really fascinating. And I just had to learn more. And of course, I'd also learned a lot through my own personal life experiences. Funny thing was at one workplace, my nickname was Mrs. Fucking Positive. <laughs> And that was also something that Tony told me that he loved about me, my positive mindset and the outlook I had on life. I love that nickname and I love your positive outlook. But as we both know from firsthand experience, when you're working with someone who is fresh in their grief or is trying to rebuild their life and they're coming up on obstacle upon obstacle, sometimes positivity doesn't have a place in those exact moments. One of the reasons I believe in you so much as a coach, and when you pitched this podcast idea to me, even though I have my own podcast and did not want to sign up for another one right away, I said, yes, I want to do this with you. And we became podcast partners is because you also have the ability to sit with people in their pain. You have the ability to sit with them in that pain. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, there's a big, big difference between positivity and toxic positivity. And yes. I know we've, we've discussed yes. that on here before. <laughs> I also really, really dislike the term positive vibes only. Okay. And I put a quote of mine on social media recently that says, all emotions are valid. You cannot positive vibes only your way out of grief. Yep. And it's true. I like it. <laughs> it's true. It's 
completely unhealthy and unrealistic to think that you can be positive all the time. All emotions serve a purpose in our lives. So while I guess I may have been a bit naive about positivity back in the day, I feel now that I have a very healthy relationship with it. So maybe now my nickname should be Mrs. Fucking Feel All Emotions. (laughs) (laughs) I I like it. (laughs) But John, going back to when I had that first coaching session with you about three and a half years ago, and you asked me why I wasn't coaching. And it kind of stopped me in my tracks. I thought to myself, well, yeah, why aren't I? It was something I'd wanted to do for years. And now I had the capability to help people who are going through what I've been through. So, of course, it was a no-brainer. And grief has become my passion. And, look, I often joke that I'm the fun person to have at parties because I'm the one you'll find in the corner talking about grief. Grievers will always find me without knowing who I am or what I do. They're just somehow drawn to me. And I think it's like I must have some sort of grief GPS on me or something. (laughs) But more seriously, I do love what I do. And I feel so very privileged to sit with people in their darkest times of pain and then to walk beside them as they rebuild a life that once again is meaningful. I'm honoured to get to know their person who's died and the stories that they shared with them. And I get to celebrate each little win alongside them. Look, it really is the most humbling experience and I wouldn't want to do anything else. I honestly feel so blessed to be able to make that difference in people's lives. I agree with you. I feel the exact same way. This career path that we have both chosen is so incredibly rewarding right um okay so we're going to move on to the next thing here that i want to talk about and it is surprise surprise a lightning round okay a lightning round i get to ask the questions you get to answer them here we go question one what was your favorite thing about tony I loved that he always made sure that I knew how much he loved me. Beautiful. I love that answer. Here may be a little bit more difficult to answer. What is your favorite thing about yourself? I love that I've survived everything that I've been through and somehow I'm a better person. Fuck yes. People walk around ashamed of the things they have been through. Somehow they're still walking. They've survived it. They're still going. They're rebuilding, but they're walking around ashamed. I love when somebody can take what they have been through and realize that it should not be an embarrassing thing to them. They should be proud of what they have survived. And if they choose to tell their story, as you and I have, they can actually be inspirational, right? Let me ask you a harder question. What is your least favorite thing about yourself? Don, don, don. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess I'd say at the moment, my least favorite thing about myself is that I'm overweight. But as part of my growth, I'm simultaneously learning to love myself as I am while also being open and honest about the areas that I do want to improve in. That's, I I love it. That's perfect. That is how we truly grow, right? It's self-acceptance, walking hand in hand with being honest honest with ourselves about the way we're holding ourselves back, where we want to grow, where we need to grow, right? So that was, you know, that was a very personal answer. Thank you for being honest with your answers on this podcast. Okay. I think we have one more lightning round question. You ready for this one? Here we go. Give it to me. Okay. (laughs) So you know me on a pretty personal level. And a lot of people don't know this about me. Like people who have read my books know it. Some coaching clients know it. People, some people in my personal life know it, 
but a lot of people don't. And the truth is I'm weird as fuck. Like I am weird as fuck. Now, when we're on a call together, not necessarily when we're doing this podcast or not necessarily when we're doing a coaching call, but we're, we're on like a personal call. You know, we're preparing for the podcast or we're doing a marketing call, whatever. And I start rambling as I'm doing now <laughs> because I am the king of rambling. I want you to be honest here. How often during the course of those calls when I'm rambling, do you think to yourself, <laughs> I wish he would just shut the fuck up already? How often do you think that to yourself? <laughs> well, you know what? That would be kind of the pot calling the kettle black, wouldn't it? Because you know me, I'm not too bad at rambling myself, John. <laughs> but there may or may not have been one or two times when I think to myself, like, come on, Johnny, rein it in a bit. Or when I have an idea, but by the time you finish talking, I've lost it. <laughs> yeah, that will happen. That will happen. But overall, I love your rambling. It's part of who you are. I will say, though, I think I've done a pretty good job on this podcast at not rambling too much. I've become very succinct and deliberate on my own podcast. So I, I'm making improvements. I am making improvements with my rambling. I, I feel are. very comfortable around you. So when we're not doing a coaching call or not doing a podcast, that's why I just don't shut the hell up. So <laughs> it, you should it, you should feel you should feel honored that I oh, ramble. I do. I do now. <laughs> okay, Keep it up. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So okay. You know what an elevator pitch is? Do you guys have that saying out there in Australia, an elevator pitch? Yeah, we do. I do know what an elevator pitch is. Okay. So you're on an elevator and someone gets on. And somehow, some way, you find out that they just lost their person four days ago or five days ago, whatever the situation is. You have 10 or 15 or 20 seconds before that elevator stops. And you can only give them one message during that time. A time when they are experiencing the absolute worst pain of their life. What message are you giving them? And just to clarify, I don't mean an elevator pitch for your coaching, but I mean a message to a hurting human who is in so much pain and who has absolutely no hope. What would you want to tell them about grief? I'd say to them something along the lines of, look, I know you're really hurting right now and it probably feels like you've lost all hope. I've been there too. And I just want you to know that there will come a day when you will find hope again. Grief doesn't disappear, however, it changes and it evolves. And you can find ways to integrate your grief into a life that is once again fulfilling for you. And you can do all this while still honoring your person. And I'd look them in the eyes and tell them to hold on and that one day they would be grateful that they did. I love that message. That is an excellent message elevator pitch to a hurting human. Now, on a completely different note, you just had a very special day a few days ago. Do you want me to sing you happy birthday on air for all of our listeners? Oh, that would be the best birthday present ever. Okay. So what was it? Your 30th? Um yeah <laughs> 30 times two <laughs> okay. okay and i'm just so, fresh off a weekend of celebrating so it's been a big big few days nice so i'm not going to sing happy birthday on air and the reason i'm not going to do that is because we're trying to grow the podcast and i don't want to lose all of our listeners so by the time we have like three hundred thousand listeners then i will sing to you because if two hundred thousand stop listening because of my voice we still got a hundred thousand left, but I'm not going to sing to you this year. Okay. So too bad for the few of you that actually wanted to hear me sing happy birthday, <laughs> damn. you know, <laughs> yeah, damn. Everyone's very disappointed. You and I were talking a couple of weeks ago 
and it came up that Tony actually proposed on your birthday. As we begin to wind down this episode here in the remaining few minutes, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, he did. That was on my last milestone birthday, so 10 years ago. So he proposed on my birthday in the February and we married in December that year. And I know we talked on our secondary losses episode about when different milestones arise that they can bring secondary losses. And look, I did find that to be the case this year. It really brought back how special that birthday was with his proposal and how happy I was at the time. And also how much I missed having someone to share this birthday with, someone to make me feel special the way that Tony did. But look, I'm lucky to have a beautiful family and some special friends who did spoil me and they did make it special for me. Carolyn, when Tony passed, give me a quick answer on this. Let's go back to the lightning round type of thing. Quick answer. One word, one sentence type of thing. When he passed, immediately like after he passed, did you have any hope? No. Yes or no answer? Did you believe in hope? I did. You did believe in hope. So you believed in it, but you didn't have any. That's all right. Okay. Interesting. Did you think, again, Tony passes, you know, take yourself back to two days after, two weeks after, not even months after, but just in the immediate aftermath. Did you ever think that you would get to a point in life where you actually liked your life again in some capacity? Did you ever think that would happen? I didn't think it was possible for it to happen, but I held on to hope that I could find happiness in some way. I get that. And look, I've said this on air before, Carolyn, you've said this on air before. The reason I wanted to ask those questions before we get to the very last thing here is because when we post on our social media, when we do this podcast and we talk about hope, we talk about rebuilding, we talk about, you know, we have happiness again in our life in some capacity, all that type of stuff. People absolutely do not think it's possible for them. And John didn't think it was possible for John. And Carolyn didn't think it was possible for Carolyn. It's normal to not think that it's possible for you, right? All right, Carolyn, last question of this episode for you. So and maybe we'll even do a future episode about this where listeners send us their funny grief stories. But the truth of the matter is sometimes we have funny grief stories. We do some weird shit sometimes. There are pages in my books where people send me funny grief stories and I included them in the books. Um, such as when I made out with Michelle's urn. Okay, now we just lost quite a few listeners after they heard that. <laughs> okay. End this episode by telling us a f- couple funny grief stories that you have. Okay, so seeing it was just my birthday, I've got to share something that happened on what was my first birthday after Tony died. So I went to the cemetery to have a birthday beer with Tony after I finished work. And I went to leave and I found that I was locked in the cemetery. So I couldn't get out. My car and I were locked in the cemetery. Oh, God. So, meanwhile, I was meant to be at a family birthday celebration, you know, being the guest of honour and I was running late and, and I was starting to panic because I was a long, long way from home where the cemetery was. So I've rang my son and luckily he came and picked me up and I've had to leave the car inside the cemetery overnight and climb this little fence to get out of the cemetery so I could go to my birthday party. And the whole time I was just knowing how much Tony would have been laughing, thinking that was bloody hilarious. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, there are actually funny grief stories out there. And again, I do really think we should do a full episode on this at some point and have our listeners send us their stories. Give us one more uh, to close out the episode here. Okay. So just after Tony died, I bought myself one of those big, long body pillows to have in the bed beside me just because I needed something in the bed with me to cuddle. So I've I've had the, the body pillow and I also got like a blanket printed with some photos of Tony on it. 
there was one big photo of his face that was probably sort of life-sized photo. So I'd fold the blanket up and put it on the pillow. And then it was like Tony's face on the pillow and then the body pillow in the bed to <laughs> hug. Right. So I've done that. And, um, you know, I did that probably for the first year or so. And one of my best friends was visiting from my hometown. And to use a bathroom, she had to go through my bedroom the next morning. I'm downstairs and she's gone upstairs through my bedroom. And I heard this funny little squeal. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. She's seen Tony in my bed. (laughs) That poor girl. We did have a bit of a laugh about that. The poor girl. It must have really freaked her out. Yeah, she must have been scared shitless. No joke. So... That's the end of the episode, Carolyn. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to interview you. You will have the opportunity to interview me at some point in the future. You could also do a lightning round question where you ask me questions. And I'm completely embarrassed. We will see our listeners next week. Tell them we'll see them next week, Carolyn. Catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the My Person Died To podcast. For full information on our books, coaching services, and other offerings, visit our websites, carolyngowercoaching.com.au and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief.